0: So, this evening, I'd like to talk about compassion to help us have a, a deeper understanding of its importance and its transformational power in the, uh, within the teachings of the Buddha. Especially, I'd like to um, talk about it so that we can understand how it's related to metta, or to loving-kindness and it's also a key factor in opening to the Buddha's teachings on liberation. So it has uh, multi-places in the Buddhist teaching that's really important, very key places. So this metta practice that we're developing here is uh, a beautiful state of mind, of course, and it's one of the four beautiful states of mind called the brahma viharas sometimes um, you know we hear that word brahma vihara and and it seems like it's some place far off you know brahma vihara means divine abode and uh, sometimes it's like a heaven realm we think about something not in this world otherworldly but actually these divine abodes are in our own hearts they're Divine abiding places within us. And one of my teachers uh, from long ago, Ayakema, told me that she describes them as four divine emotions. And I like that because it makes it um, so practical and down to earth. You know, they're, they're emotions that we have. So, um, Metta is one of those four divine emotions. And the other ones are compassion, and then there's sympathetic joy, or sometimes it's called altruistic joy, and then there is uh, equanimity. And I'm gonna um, fill those out a little bit more, but first I wanted you to see how those basic four come together and make these four beautiful emotions that we actually can Uh, practice and train more in so that the mind naturally goes there. So, so Mark and I have been um, transmitting to you from our own teachers what we know, what we understand, how we have practiced ourselves. Metta is this uh, word that means, has significant descriptions. It's not just loving kindness. But it's also a sense of goodwill—that just that basic goodwill for the welfare of others and the welfare of ourselves. Everyone's included. Um, it, sometimes it's described as benevolence. You know, when you when you kind of give some uh, a sense of goodwill to others, it's a very strong, and deep kind of benefiting of others, and also benefiting our own karmic stream, this benevolence. Also, it's a sense of fellowship because it connects us with ourselves, our own hearts, and with that connection deep within, it connects us with others as well. One of the words uh, that I came across that is a description of metta is nonviolence. And um, yeah, that's, it's quite the opposite. Of violence, it's nonviolence and much more than that. So this is a very deep offering of goodwill for the welfare and happiness of all beings. Um, it's it's not just goodwill. It's it has a lot more that goes with it, uh, as someone pointed out today. It has the integrity of all these things coming together, and much more that we can experience within. It's actually the basis for the other Brahma-viharas. So um, metta or loving-kindness or goodwill is a basis for compassion. It's also the basis for sympathetic joy or altruistic joy. Also the basis for equanimity. So all of those um, is, uh, sympathetic joy and equanimity will also be covered in our talks and uh, offering to you. So all of this is an offering. Uh, so sometimes I just use the word blessing because you know when, when there's a blessing, um, at least what I grew up with, uh, understanding, it I came from the Catholic tradition, but by the way, I'm not a recovering Catholic. <laughs> there's so much about that tradition that I've uh, appreciated I learned a lot of concentration in that tradition you know doing the rosary so many times and also there was a lot of emphasis on being a good person and so i i appreciate my upbringing there um, but i do understand that metta means much more uh, sometimes than simple good words um, when we're just when we're including ourselves and we're also including everyone else uh, equally. So it's not based on self-interest. It's a, a blessing that we we offer without expecting anything in return. When that goodwill, I'll just use that word for now representing metta, when that goodwill is turned towards suffering, pain of any kind, pain in the heart, physical pain, the pain we see in the world today, um, the aspect of compassion comes out of that metta. So you may have experienced already that uh, when you're offering a blessing or goodwill to another, sometimes what we what comes up in our minds in relationship to that person more than anything is their suffering. And automatically, uh, there's an opening in our hearts. There's a, okay, let's, we can let's stay with this. But sometimes we don't. You know, we we want to close down and turn away or strike out at. That's why I wanted to talk about compassion this evening because a lot of our responses to life depend on which of the brahmavihāras are we bringing forth. And if we can really be clear that in particular, for example, compassion is a Brahma-vihara that faces suffering, we can, when we've learned how to practice that, or to recognize it when it's already happening, then there's an opportunity for us to respond to life in not just an appropriate manner, but in a manner that's really beneficial for others and beneficial for ourselves, too, because we're not reacting or responding in a way that causes more harm. For example, we might respond with um, feeling aversion, or judgment, or criticism. And even, you know, in the face of uh, when somebody is really a loved one to us, and especially, as Mark was pointed out, sometimes especially so, uh, we feel you know, deep connections with people and we, um, when something comes up in that being, in, in our relationship with them, it, it can bring up the opposites of compassion. And as I will explain later, what the opposites of compassion are. But first, um, to talk about goodwill and metta and the opposites of metta because that's what's usually coming up when we open to something in ourselves or something in others that we don't like or we're not used to facing. There is what we call the near and the far enemies of, um, of metta. So the far enemy is called the far enemy because you can see it from afar. You can sense it from afar, and that is hatred, aversion, rage, judgment, impatience, and much more. You know, just in in that genre of experience that we have. uh, When we can begin to notice it, hopefully, in ourselves, in relationship to something else. As it, it can come up so frequently in our metta practice and also in our basic awareness practice, So it's really helpful to actually notice that it's there because then we can, the first thing that's happening is that we're opening to the truth and then when we can open to the truth of what's actually honestly there, we can do something about it. We can refrain from acting it out, for example. So um, aversion is the far enemy and that's what we may experience in our metta practice. Something comes up and we feel aversion towards that person or something comes up in ourselves and we feel aversion towards ourselves like I'm not good enough or I can't do this or I'm just a bad person. Um, All these things are normal, comes up in our practice. So when aversion comes up, it's important to be able to open to it. And I'll talk a little bit more about that, how we can open to it when I go into compassion more. But first I want to complete this understanding of what the opposites of metta are. Because these are probably coming up in your practice already. So I talked about the far enemy. And the near enemy is called the near enemy because it can seem like metta. The near enemy is attachment. You know, you have that closeness to that person, so we feel a kind of attachment to that person. But that can lead into controlling or wanting something to be our way and, and not just allowing it to be a natural unfolding for the other person. But uh, we thought we have an attachment to how we think it should be with that person. Just a little example of that in the metta practice. Um, So I have four grown children, and they have their own children now, so grandmother of seven. And uh, when I was raising those children, did a lot of metta practice. And sometimes, you know, I'd say a metta phrase like, may you be happy, may you be peaceful, right? And so I would find myself really attached to the result of that. Like, I, I just realized how naughty they were or how disobedient they were, whatever, you know, during certain times of their growth periods. And I could tell that when I would say that phrase, there was some need to control, some need to, you know, want it to be like I want it to be immediately because, you know, It's it's hard for mothers, as we all know. Everybody has a mother, at least. So um, I would say, uh, may you please be happy. (laughs) 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 And it would be like just that basic inside me that I wanted to be the way I wanted to be right now. I'm tired of this, you know. So instead of just really having that sincere, looking after the goodwill of that person. You know, may you be happy and peaceful. And be able to do that with equanimity, which we'll also talk about one of the Brahmaviharas. Viharas. So, um, yeah, just a, a little bit about that area of the near and far enemy of metta. And we'll also see, um, I'm going to point out the near and far enemy of, um, of compassion too, because I want to I want to expand your understanding of compassion in terms of the Buddhist teaching as, as a whole. So we're getting more familiar with those experiences within. The, the beauty of this practice of metta is you really can't have metta True metta, unless you also have mindfulness, you know, you're mindful of what's arising, and you you actually feel and understand what's coming up in your own heart. It's it's opportunities also again to face the truth of how things are. The beauty of doing metta, uh, you know, and, and being able to see what's going on in our hearts and minds is there's a possibility that we can be softer with it that we can be gentler with what comes up in our own hearts and mind, because that that's what it's bringing to us, this um, opportunity to be gentle with ourselves, be gentle with others, at the same time be wise as well as skillful. So we're becoming more familiar, and then how to work with these uh, experiences in a skillful way. One of the skillful ways is When we know we need to, uh, because we see what's coming up as difficult within us, or facing what's difficult within another person, a a dear friend or a family member, is to bring up, to to intentionally bring up compassion sometimes. Or sometimes you might see that your mind um, automatically, normally goes to compassion anyway. You can feel open, connected. Being willing to face what's going on with that other person, instead of going into sometimes denial, sometimes striking out because we just don't want to face it. Those are aspects of the terrain of, of compassion. Also, they, that, that's uh, the near and far, the near and far enemies come in that uh, in, in compassion. Also, so compassion is helpful because it faces the suffering. It really takes the suffering per se in that person and just really is able to say, this person is suffering. And no matter what it is, and they may be acting out in ways that are harmful. That's true too. We can't deny that. I mean, that's clear seeing. But it's also clear seeing that that person is suffering suffering from racism, for example. That's a suffering. And when we can really come to that, our hearts can maybe, if we train it more, if we face whatever we need to face within us, we can also face that suffering in another person. So it doesn't make the racism right. It just, we see it with skillfully and clear seeing. But we also know this is so deep, you know. There's so much around it. Not to make excuses for it, but um, it's not going to be. There's not going to be a way of getting out of it for a lot of people overnight, you know. So we we can just see that there's a lot of suffering there. Of course, when we're being hurt by it, we're, we don't have that automatic response but we can learn that we can also learn that. So compassion faces a suffering Um, when we can see it in ourselves then we're more likely to see it in others. So what happens when we're faced with another person's suffering say um, we, we remember a person and what comes up about that person is how that person dissed us, or dismissed us, or ignored us, or said something cruel to us. Um, Just to be able to look at how it hurts inside first is the first place we can go. So, So much of the time we're so pulled to the outer experience that we don't really have the wherewithal sometimes, just because we're human, to turn towards like how does this feel inside? You know, it's it's really hurtful to have that experience of not liking them or being averse to them or closing down or, you know, you don't understand me, that kind of stuff that can happen. I mean I'm human, I've had those experiences and sometimes I still do, you know, to different degrees. But the the benefit of having had the practice, and having it all around me with dear friends who, you know, who are able to support me and, you know, it's always mutual, is that I'm working on it, you know, and it's not just always like all of a sudden your mind's going to turn. There's many times you have to actually turn towards that suffering in yourself of how we are, we ourselves are reactive with uh, cruelty, which is the far enemy of um, compassion. We are. We can be cruel ourselves with anger towards that person, um, or we can start drowning in, in our pity for ourselves, um, or sometimes a pity for another person, or drowning in our suffering about it. So we need to know really an ability, have the ability to open to our own suffering, which gives us the ability to open to the suffering of others. So during these trainings, um, perhaps you too have understood these at, at some point. I, I saw many hands raised when I asked how many of you have done metta practice, and many of you So you know already, you know, that these are the realities of being human. These things come up. But what's the skill set that we have to be able to uh, know where to go next, what to do next? So if you can go to compassion, it's really helpful. So more about that, so you can understand maybe what you can do in the moment. So, um, these teachings that are benefiting us today are flowing from a river or energy of compassion from the Buddha. Because it's said that long ago when he was under the Bodhi tree practicing, after his full enlightenment, uh, there was the very first thoughts of, not sharing the, these teachings or this way of liberating ourselves from ourselves from suffering, because it, there might not be many who would be open to it. But um, it said that a, a celestial being appeared to the Buddha and um, appealed to the Buddha that there are many who many beings with little dust in their eyes. And, uh, you know, at one point in my practice I realized, oh, I'm one of them, (laughs) you know, and you are too, because you're here, you know, and you're taking the time to really understand your own mind, your own life, your own heart, and therefore having better understanding for humanity. So these precious teachings are coming to us from this river of compassion, because it was out of compassion that the Buddha Began to offer the teachings. And it said that compassion is one of the most beautiful feelings, just a feeling that we have inside, an experience of being human. And it's when our genuine caring can connect with not just things that are, you know, neutral in this world. Like we, in Mento, it's more of the the neutrality of metta that's offering goodwill to all beings, just to all beings, whatever their situation is. But compassion is uh, is offering that to beings who are suffering. And so it takes us another step further into really opening to what the reality of life is. That part of life is this reality of suffering. And so we can't just keep offering goodwill. I mean, that's beautiful and powerful in itself. But what we're facing in life is a lot of pain, a lot of heart pain, heart uh, aches, a lot of um, physical pain. There's pain of this world that's happening now, with you know all the imbalances that are going on environmentally and and many other. Um, Imbalances, and there's a lot to be healed in our in our humanity. So when our genuine caring can open and connect to the hardships and the deep suffering and the wounds of others, including ourselves, this is facing reality with an open heart. And one time. I read that Trumpa Rinpoche, one of the great Tibetan teachers, asked about was asked about compassion and what is compassion, and his answer was facing reality with an open heart. And we need that open heart. You know, we need to not close it down when it becomes difficult because life is difficult. You know, that's the first noble truth is the truth of suffering. So. It's uh, compassion is vitally important in in our lives as human beings. Facing the reality of life with an open heart. Because it's hard. You know, life as a human being is really hard because of the fact of suffering. Instead of closing down or turning away or ignoring avoiding or resisting or distracting ourselves, sometimes even striking out because it's too hard to accept what is difficult to face. Can we um, develop this open-hearted courage of compassion? So I know it's, it's not like we can. I know it's more a question of can we? Can we do that really? So, you know, my life has been full of, like yours, I'm no different than any one of you. Um, Maybe we have different um, details about our life, but there's been difficulties uh, that my heart and body and mind have had to face, and compassion was the strongest component in my own heart uh, to face what... I had to face in my own heart. And I didn't have I wouldn't say I had terrible, terrible suffering like I've heard about others, but enough, you know, to um, yeah, enough enough to keel me over sometimes. So when we don't have to strike out or we don't have to avoid or resist or distract ourselves by doing so many things for others um, that we get so busy that we don't even face our own suffering now this is another way that we distract ourselves and we resist opening to how it is it's said that it becomes even more beautiful and sometimes rare for us as human beings when we can have this unconditional care for ourselves, for the vulnerability of our own hearts and minds without getting bogged down or identified with, with um, the suffering that we're having. So, so many times in my life I've been so wrapped up in it and identified with it that it's given me grist for the mill, you know, just having to work with it as a human being. So I've had plenty of opportunities to develop all of these Brahma-viharas. So this quality or ability even to be compassion is one of the most powerful allies we can have in this world. It's the, it's the most powerful antidote to suffering. Um, it is a it is the most powerful first antidote which leads us to wisdom which opens to the wisdom that really frees us from suffering compassion is um, not a weak force it it isn't it, it's not frail it's a very very strong force I would say that it's a combination of inner strength that we have to work up to and courage you know the courage to um, just take that step forward or take that step in opening to whatever is difficult for us it might be more difficult in the outer realm you know with another loved one or we might see that really we need to come back here to our own hearts and and open there or maybe both are happening at the same time. We want to be able to bring clear seeing to what's happening and not just kind of this, yeah, you know, we we think about compassion as this very soft-hearted, just kind of surrender to life without doing anything about it, but it's actually not that. It brings with it a lot of courage to even face what's going on when it's so difficult that we want to turn away. We're facing the difficulty out there, we also face the difficulty in our own hearts, and we can stay with it for bits at a time. We may be able to touch into that place a little bit and then go to something more neutral. We may be able to take in what the outer conditions are in with another person or um, a bigger condition of life um, that we are Faced with so many difficult conditions now. Um, but we're able to stay with it little by little and, and not try to pull our petals open, you know, and kind of do an overnight thing that, okay, I'm going to learn this and, you know, I'll, I'll get over it. It takes a while to really develop this. In some mysterious way, this beautiful emotion makes us feel complete as a human being. I uh, once was, long ago um, I picked up an old journal that I had uh, written even long before that and I found a passage in it where I had written about a quiet desperation that I had about life. And, uh, you know, I I was going through a hard time of raising kids on my own and I just thought, wow. Wow. How can I get through this? But actually, you know, that led me to the Dharma. That kind of suffering led me to the Dharma where I really wanted to find a way that could give me uh, some really deep inner peace. So I've been very acutely aware since my early years that I wanted to really understand the meaning of life. And I had this also this quiet desperation to know what, what is my life all about anyway, you know? It's not just survival, it's um, got to be something more than that. And Manindraji, my first teacher, was around me at that time, and I asked him that question, what's the meaning of my life anyway? And he said, the meaning of your life is to develop compassion and wisdom. It was just so clearly put out. And I, you know, it was kind of easy to understand, but of course hard to fill in with my own life. And then I really understood um, as I went on in the Dharma that the Dharma is made up of all different component parts that help me develop compassion, develop more wisdom. And it's still growing. You know, it's not finished yet. But this quality of compassion was one of the most important first things that I learned to have in in my own practice. I learned that compassion is one of the two great wings of the Dharma, it said. Compassion and wisdom are both called wings of the Dharma. It said that each one strengthens and serves the other one and they become balanced. So that in times, for example, we need to open our hearts and come close to what's happening. And sometimes what we need with that at the same time is a skillful means through wisdom to know how to respond. So sometimes the response with wisdom comes right away. and that's more up front. But sometimes the soft-hearted facing of what's happening, that's more in the foreground. And sometimes we can see both of them equally there, helping one another. It's said that when these become in balance, this great strong bird of the Dharma can fly to freedom, to liberation. So I want to say a few words about um, This is from His Holiness the Dalai Lama, words about the combination of wisdom and compassion. In Tibetan Buddhism, he says, these are considered the two most important aspects of practice. Just like a bird needs two two wings to fly, a very compassionate person without wisdom is only a likable fool. and a person with wisdom and no compassion is like a lonely hermit in an ivory tower. Both can serve each other, and so then they can be strong. So there's more to that, but that was the main part. So I'd like to um, talk about one of the main teachings of the Buddha. And uh, it's about the truth of how it is, the true nature of reality, what we're really facing in our lives. Because as we open to life in general, not just in our metta practice, although compassion is greatly needed there, just opening to life in general, we need to really start to face the true nature of reality. because. A lot of times when we face how it is in this world, um, it's easy to turn away. You know, it's easy to give up and not face it and to just chase after what's pleasant all the time and run away from what's unpleasant. That's what samsara is described as. Um, So in these conditions that we have here, we're given this opportunity, a very rare opportunity, to be in this simplicity, and this silence, and this relative seclusion, to really notice what's going on in our own minds. The Buddha would say that the whole of the universe can be known in this fathom-long body, and of course the mind. So this is what we're doing. When we are even doing our practice of metta, we're discovering What makes up this body and mind continuum? And how are we going to um, navigate the ups and downs of life and what's going on inside uh, in a way that brings us to more and more freedom from the places that really hook us into the suffering and, and get us so identified with it. So this In this inner environment, things quiet down, especially with this kind of practice that we're doing. We're doing more of a a concentration practice. Um, Of course, mindfulness is in it. We have to be aware of what's going on and aware of where we want to turn the mind towards metta. But we, we can do this in this kind of environment. It's not easy to do this at home. Except in the, you know, snippets of time—an hour in the morning or in the evening, or times when we do a little practice—but here it's important to really um, use our time wisely, you know, because we're we're given this opportunity. Sometimes uh, I or we we would go into practice and we'd hear from our teachers. Um, Make this make this time count. make every, I would hear from my own teacher, make every moment count. you know, like really pay attention, really do our practice because we never know when it's our time to go, to die. So like His Holiness, the Dalai Lama says, The absolute truth cannot be realized within the domain of the habitual patterns of the mind. All great traditions have told us this. It is through the heart. So we're doing this heart practice now of metta. And I would say, as I mentioned a while ago, that um, I find that the practice of metta helps me to open to what's been difficult because the difficult places do come up and I tend to be more gentle with them because I've learned when those difficult places come up in relationship with another person, for example, then I I can come back to this place that's difficult in me. And I can put that aside for now because this is where we need to pay attention right now, as Mark was pointing out earlier, in a certain example. So, bringing bringing our attention there is really helping us to see the habitual patterns and knowing what skillful means that we have to actually open to them. And as I said, this metta that we're turning towards what's difficult actually naturally turns into compassion. So I want to connect this beautiful quality of compassion also to the liberation teachings of the Buddha, namely the Four Noble Truths, because it said that without compassion we would not be able to open to even the first noble truth. So in the turning of the wheel of the Dharma, the Buddha laid out these Four Noble Truths. And this is really key in terms of the importance of compassion in our Dharma life. Because in the first Noble Truth, the Buddha started out with a clear statement of reality that we're all faced with as human beings. So in these ancient teachings of the Buddha, namely in in the Pali, Language that the Buddhist teachings were handed down in, the first noble truth is presented in two words. And those two words are dukkha, which means suffering, and saccha, which means truth. And those two words mean, actually, if you fill them out, there is the truth of suffering. And uh, I want to say that sometimes it's been translated as life is suffering well what a way to invite people to the dharma i mean so that's why i really point this out that it really means actually something that's very real and it is a truth there is the truth of suffering there is both joy and sorrow you know joy can come but it also passes away and it's painful when it passes away and sorrow is there also and so in you know there is joy of course but that goes away if we can learn to just face all of that you know it's fine we can let other moments of joy come or maybe not so many moments of joy come and where our hearts can still have some way of a noble way of opening to life so The Buddha didn't say this as a pessimist. The Buddha said this as a realist. And when the Dharma came into my life, I heard this first noble truth. And I realized that I was met where I was. Because the previous time of my religious life, so to say, was like I was always wanting to be someplace else. You know, that I needed to be some kind of saint or something like that but, you know, like the Mother Mary. And like, that's what my idol was, and um, from here to there was a long, long ways. But when I heard this first of the Four Noble Truths, I felt that's where I'm really at. You know, that just opening to the fact of the suffering of life. And it made me understand that If I could just start there, where I really was, and there was a way in the remaining other Noble Truths towards the end of suffering, then this was the path for me. So I just want to accentuate that first Noble Truth now. Just to be complete, the second Noble Truth is that there is a cause of suffering, and that cause is attachment. And the third Noble Truth is that there is an end to suffering. And the fourth Noble Truth is that there is a way to the end of suffering, and that is the Eightfold Noble Path. So there was a way, you know, the the actuality of what I was being faced with as a human being, it was also what causes it, and there is an end to it. And if I could just walk this path, then uh, that would be what I would want to do. So more on that um, maybe in later retreats but we're, we're handling um, Metta and the four uh, Brahma Viharas here in this retreat. Throughout his life um, the Buddha taught that to open to this first noble truth needs the kindness and courage of compassion. Unless we could Muster that up in our own hearts and minds. We don't have a chance, you know, because we're always just going to be fighting that first noble truth, uh, fighting suffering, and or ignoring it. That's a lot of what we do, you know, turning away from what's difficult and going to what's more pleasant. So compassion carries a vitally important role in the um, liberating wisdom because it is the cause for the beginning really, of the end of suffering. Sometimes the gift of compassion that we give to others is simply bearing witness to somebody's suffering. You know, instead of reacting to it it's just maybe sometimes listening to that's okay, that's how it is for you right now. And seeing if we can even in a few moments come to, in our own hearts, a way that we can bear witness to that and not have a big pushback about it. You know, at least in our, in our physical beingness where we might be showing it or in our words. But maybe there's some place inside us that can say, this is really hard for this person, you know, to have the certain beliefs that this person has or to act in a certain way that's harmful to others. This is really hard for this person. So sometimes that gift of compassion is simply bearing witness to the ups and downs and the changes in, in our lives, in a person's life, without judging but knowing That's how it is right now. So, I wanna read from Khalil Gibran here. And it's about um, this ability to face the pain of our lives and um, see what comes from that. So to quote, Your pain is the breaking of the shell that encloses your understanding. Even as a stone of the fruit must break open, that its heart may stand in the sun, so must you know pain. And if you could keep your heart in wonder at the daily miracles of your life, your pain would not seem less wondrous than your joy. So if I'm truthful with myself, a lot of um, my own um, opening to more wisdom in my life came from facing the pain of my life and the life of others around me, my children, my family. So this compassion is described as basic goodness, basic goodwill, like metta unconditional kindness that turns towards what is painful towards what is difficult to bear within us or around us. Because of that compassion it allows us to have a friendly connection with another. I know that for myself you know when somebody um, can just bear witness to what my own heart is feeling in terms of difficulty even when I'm faced with a person who um, I believe is causing pain, you know, and it causes pain to my own heart, that uh, I can, when I can be seen just in that pain per se, and not have it be mixed up with that person's, whatever that person's going through, when that person can clearly and truly bear witness to what's happening, It's healing. It's very, very healing for me and for others, too. Our teacher, Sayadaw Upandita, would use the word metta a lot, but never without karuna that I remember. Karuna means compassion. Metta means loving-kindness. So he would always say, offer your metta karuna. Offer your metta karuna to your children or to whoever, whatever is happening in your life so karuna's described or, or compassion is described as a quivering of the heart that opens what is to what is difficult to bear the heart quivers to me i was i would always wonder what why does it use the word quiver the quivering of the heart so just in my own experience this may not be in any sutras or suttas but just in my own experience I noticed that the quivering means that my heart's alive. It's not dead. I feel like it can do something. There's energy there. And it can respond. If if it's necessary to respond. Sometimes the best thing is not to respond in the moment, just to be there with it. So I, I noticed the green Tara, as other maybe others of you have noticed this, um, Tibetan divine aspect of compassion. Um, This uh, green Tara, the feminine aspect of the Buddha, is with one, is sitting in a seated position, but the right, right leg is stretched out and it's ready to act. It's not like in repose, but it's in its readiness to respond. And that's another quality of compassion that we have the readiness to respond with something that will help the situation. So I'd like to um, offer this quote by Agnes Au. She's a Buddhist teacher, and this was written in the shambhala Sun many years ago. And this person speaks metaphorically here about this path of practice that we're on, both the vipassana or the mindfulness practice, and the metta practice so to quote I see this path is actually an invitation to strip naked at one's own pace and in so doing to experience the vividness of an unfiltered life that means you know going through all the layers and this is what's happening even in our metta practices we're going through these layers of Um, stored layers of what we have um, gathered up in our pattern responses to life and they're waiting to be seen they're waiting to be acknowledged with compassion so when they show up I have a sense sometimes is that they want to be known with the mindful attention of compassion and it's kind of a welcoming in a way, like, I see you. And sometimes that's all we need, you know, from somebody who's bearing witness to um, ourselves and what we're going through. So we have this courage uh, in our practice here to be soberingly honest with ourselves, to train ourselves to face what has gone on in this inner terrain previously unchecked and now we're we're able to see with that metta karuna in our practice i love this quote by lily tomlin she was a, not only a comedian but a philosopher i thought reality is a major cause of stress i try to avoid it as much as i can that's what we do you know when we're, when we can't um, face it, we avoid it. So opening to whatever is going on in here because then it's easier to open to what's going on outside of ourselves. His Holiness the Dalai Lama much of my understanding and giving the teaching on compassion comes from the Dalai Lama actually uh, reading and hearing him speak he says until you understand the meaning of suffering for yourself there will still be a measure of hypocrisy to your compassion so when we know that oh you know i'm suffering too just like this other person is it's the same it's almost that you know it's not opening to the divine with another person it's more like opening to the suffering that brings us that um, sense of uh, a greater completion of our humanity when I was going through something really so hard to bear and really feeling unmoored from my life even with all my practice it was so challenging and I came across some um, this writing by Mark Nepo, a poet and a writer. Probably many of you know of him. Um, I understand through his writing that he went through a lot of his own deep challenges and uh, journeyed through health and relationship crisis. And when I heard some, read some of these words, it, it gave me like, oh, it's similar. You know, it's. Uh, kind of feeling the similarity in, in, um, in suffering. So this is uh, from Mark Nepo. Having loved enough and lost enough, I'm no longer searching, just opening, no longer trying to make sense of pain, but being a soft and sturdy home in which real things can land. These are the irritations that rub to a pearl. So it, it is, you know, it, it creates the beauty of our lives, you know, and we know how to face things with the skill of compassion. So the direct opposite of compassion is cruelty. It's, um, you know, compassion is softly facing something. Uh, gently facing something, but clearly. And the opposite of that is cruelty. It's like striking out at it. Sometimes um, that cruelty can even be ignoring it, It can be turning away, you know, in someone, or there's some suffering in front of us, and when we just turn away and really feel like, you know, totally being dismissed, that can be a cruelty also, when we want to push it away or ignore it because it's too painful, and we can't see the pain in ourselves. The indirect opposite, or the near enemy, uh, is called near enemy because it can be like compassion. Is overwhelming grief and sorrow. It's not the. It's not the uh, healthy grief you know, that allows us to grieve and let go. That's a healthy kind of grief. But it's like when we're drowning in grief. And it's a sadness that we're drowning in. It's not kind of like a sadness that can open to the bitterness or the pain of life. That can, that can feel sad, but there can be elements of compassion in there. But this opposite, this overwhelming grief and sorrow, is when we're drowning in it and we're just lost in it. So there was an example in the Dharma, um, in the suttas, oh no, this may be in the commentaries, where when a a person is being pulled down in quicksand and being swallowed uh, by that quicksand, and it's like them, a person who jumps in to save that person, but then the person who jumps in is swallowed by one's own grief about that person or situation. So both are swallowed into the quicksand. So when we ourselves are swallowing in grief, we we can't help another person really. So these two, this cruelty and this overwhelming grief and sorrow towards suffering, is is to be watchful for that in our practice. and When we know those things are there, like when we know those hindrances are there, for example, aversion or attachment, cruelty or overwhelming grief, it's helpful to actually bring a, a awareness to them, just that stark awareness that, oh, this is the way it is right now. Sometimes just naming it helps. Sometimes offering metta to that very place, in our metta practice can help. So with this full, more fullness of understanding uh, of what compassion is, and what how we can deal with the ups and downs with the different terrain of compassion, maybe we can have that fuller understanding that helps us to navigate the difficult terrain that we have when we're doing this, this inner journey here, when we come to a retreat like this. We're able to have less fear, perhaps in the long run, bit by bit we notice it in our lives. We're able to be with the economic, political, environmental, social injustices that are facing the world. All of these are pretty heavy-duty experiences. And then not to mention even the tsunamis that we're facing in our families and our lives so close to us. So these are some wise words from um, a poet and a writer, Donna Markova. So um, we all like to bring to you words of wisdom from other places also because they're inspiring. I will not die an unlived life. I will not live in fear of falling or catching fire. I choose to inhabit my days to allow my living to open me, to make me less afraid, more accessible, to loosen my heart, a wing, a torch, a promise. I choose to risk my significance to live so that which came to me as a seed goes to the next as blossom, and that which came to me as blossom goes on as fruit. So may this be so for all of us. So thank you for your kind attention. Let's take a moment and and let the words dissolve.